Hi, this is Tony. I'm Claire. And this is PodMed Trending. This week I will be discussing an article titled Prunes Preserved Hip Bone Mineral Density in a 12-Month Randomized Controlled Trial in Postmenopausal Women, the Prune Study. Mm -hmm. This was uh, conducted by D'Souza et al. at Penn State University and was published in the American Journal for clinical nutrition. Now, as we stated previously, we're going to be kind of giving like some tags so you could anticipate the difficulty and like the level of attention you might need to uh, uh, to have uh, while listening to these episodes. And so this one is ranking at about a medium. Okay. Uh, so keep that in mind as we go forward. A nice Goldilocks article. Yeah, it really is. It truly is. So anyways, this study was really focused on looking at the effects of consuming prunes mm-hmm. In postmenopausal women, mm-hmm. to prevent bone mineral loss. I feel like I've heard of a lot of recommendations to eat prunes yes. for older individuals, especially postmenopausal women. But I always thought it was like a fiber thing. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is that actually they discuss this a little bit in the introduction. So the reason they were looking at this is mm-hmm. because, as anyone who's familiar with endocrinology or has gone through any kind of medical training or if you are in fact a postmenopausal woman and has have had a discussion about this with your physician you know that one of the big risks mm-hmm. as particularly women but mm-hmm. also men age is bone fractures mm-hmm. primarily due to osteoporosis mm-hmm. which is just loss of the mineral deposits within the bone layers mm-hmm. and so one thing the study was really trying to to evaluate is that while previous clinical trials have actually mm-hmm. demonstrated that in some small ran, uh, randomized control studies mm-hmm. that the consumption of dried plums aka prunes <laughs> as well as other dried fruits uh, they uh, specifically mentioned dried apples has shown some benefit for patients for reducing bone mineral density loss okay um, those things have been very narrow in their focus so basically looking at like uh, a non-prune consuming group versus a uh, prune consuming group, but mm-hmm. not differences in the amount consumed. So okay. they wanted to look kind of like at a dose response mm-hmm. for consumptions of prunes okay. on reducing risk of bone fractures due to bone mineral density loss. Are they going to get into the supposed mechanism? They do not get into the mechanism, but we can discuss at the end why they think that. I'll give a little bit hint at the beginning. They don't have a specific reason why, but they do think that it has to do with the amount of calcium that is actually contained within prunes, as well as vitamin D. So it's basically like getting a vitamin D and a calcium supplement together in a bio-available source. Okay. Um, For anyone who is, again, familiar with... Uh, hormone regulation, vitamin D and calcium, in a lot of cases, especially in bone health, mm-hmm. work together. Yes. So, how do they set this study up? They collected about 250 women. Uh, again, since they were really particularly interested in osteoporosis, mm-hmm. they kept this as a, a, a singular gender control study. Okay. So, they assessed almost 700 women actually for uh, eligibility, but Almost two-thirds of those women, so about 400 of them, were excluded um, due to a number of reasons. Uh, Some just didn't want to participate. Some failed the in-person screening. Mm -hmm. Um, Some failed the baseline uh, termination or withdrawal criteria. And then some just failed the preliminary screening in general. (laughs) Following this, they had about 
as I said, 250 patients. Mm -hmm. They separated them equally between three groups. So each one had about 79 patients. Uh, They had the control group, which was women who were postmenopausal and did not consume any prunes for this 12-month trial. Are they taking women who have osteoporosis or do not? No, they're postmenopausal but not diagnosed with osteoporosis. Or osteopenia? Or osteopenia. So these are, at this time point, women who you expect to see reduction in bone mineral density just based Mm -hmm. on their age, but do not have any of those associated conditions. Okay. Yeah. Uh, So they had the control group and then a group of women who ate 50 grams of prunes daily. How many, like, how many prunes is that? I don't know, but it just seems like a lot to me. It does seem like a lot. And we will talk a little bit about, in a a second, um, women who failed to complete the study. (laughs) And then you had the third group, which was women who ate 100 grams of prunes daily. Are they going to talk a little bit more about the demographics of the women? Yes, I can discuss that right now, actually. Uh, So what do these women look like? (laughs) Demographically. (laughs) On average, uh, their age, they were all in their 60s. Um, and that was true for all three of the groups. So the control group, the 50-gram prune group, and the 100-gram prune group. Mm-hmm. They started menopause around the same age. This was, on average, between all three groups. They all started menopause around age 50. Actually, we'll just say 50, because like it's 50.1 is the average. For that, some, extra was, like, that extra couple like, weeks. Yeah, really uh, changes the difference. Um Honestly, they did a really good job of, like, randomizing the shortage of these women. They had very similar bone, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, BMIs. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ratio between uh, women who were obese versus overweight versus uh, within the normal weight uh, range mm-hmm. based on BMI mm-hmm. was also very similar across the board. The control group had a slightly larger uh, normal BMI um, population, um, but it was uh, a 53% versus uh like 46 and 45 percent in the other groups so slightly more non-obese or overweight women but not anything statistically significant again they they further broke uh, their body uh composition down to like fat mass versus mm-hmm. lean body mass mm-hmm. versus total body fat percentages and there's a reason for that it's because things like load bearing weight is a huge uh, indicator for uh bone mineral loss and things like that or like risk for fractures so they wanted to kind of control for that. And those populations were all very similar between all three uh, all three treatment groups. So Did they control for um, number of pregnancies? Because <sighs> That's a great question. I believe pregnancy is each pregnancy is associated with a lower bone mineral density because they have you're growing a whole new set of bones and so that calcium's yes. got to come from somewhere and if you're not taking enough prenatal vitamins to get for the fetus to get that calcium from your diet, it will take it from your bones. Yes, that's a that's a great question. So the answer to that is, it doesn't look like they control for that. What they did instead, and I actually need to make a, a quick correction here. I apologize. I said that they didn't look at women who are osteoporosis, but that's incorrect. They actually did have a small population that was evenly distributed across all three groups. So they controlled for like things like osteoporosis and osteopenia between the groups. Okay. Um, but they did not control for pregnancy. What they looked at instead, actually, mm-hmm. was a history of hysterectomies and ophorectomies. So basically, mm-hmm. did they have any gynecological surgery that would remove the hormone-producing and responding organs? And the reason for that, as Claire really 
nicely pointed out is that hormone disruption also really heavily impacts Mm -hmm. uh, things like the development of osteoporosis. Um, And that's like why you really see it postmenopausally. Because there are a lot of estrogen receptors on the bone, I believe. Yes, there are in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And they also, because of that reason, looked at hormone use. So uh, they uh, also looked at uh, women who were have been treated previously or currently with estrogen agonists. Uh, they also looked at women who had previously, like their patients who previously had taken osteoporosis medication use, okay. um, which actually is a very broad term. Yes. Um, and so unsurprisingly, a lot of women in their groups had, had uh, taken these kind of medications. Um, as well as hormone medication, because again, these are all postmenopausal women, and so I can't remember the time frame exactly, but a lot of women postmenopausally are prescribed mm-hmm. estrogen um, supplements as a, like at least for a few years mm-hmm. for, hormone, uh, for hormone replacement therapy. And again, since these women are within are more than ten years out on average from their on their onset of menopause, mm-hmm. it's l- unlikely that any of them are still on this estrogen mm-hmm. uh, replacement therapy mm-hmm. because again those typically are only given i believe the cutoff or the recommended cutoff is about five years mm-hmm. post treatment it's because of like refractory symptoms like increased actual bone density loss because of this hormone treatment um so they a lot of these populations were luckily i think when they were ran, randomized the populations mm-hmm. that had these kind of like medication use versus non-use and like differences in like uh, surgical history and things like that were all very similar. And the same thing was true for their exercise. Uh, so again, another thing that could really impact bone uh, mineral density is uh, weekly uh, exercise uh, regimens, which I'm just going to say I don't follow. So like, <laughs> cool. If you want to know what those exercise guidelines are, we have an episode on Me that. Me too. So check it out. And the last thing they really wanted to evaluate is uh, they wanted to look at uh, bone uh, medical history. So specifically looking at fractures, Mm -hmm. as well as something that we're going to touch on a little bit because they analyze this statistically, Mm -hmm. the FRAX score. So that's F-R-A-X. It's basically a a complex uh, questionnaire form and medical history form to evaluate the likeliness of you getting a fracture within 10 years. Obviously, big uh, components of that include like uh, cigarette smoking history, alcohol use, um, other drug history, as well as specifically in this case, age, weight, exercise, and uh, bone mineral density uh, scans and evaluations. Mm -hmm. So that's the general overview of the the demographics. The women are spread out, very similar ages, very similar onset of uh, menopause, very similar medical histories, very similar medical prescription use. Um, and now we're going to talk a little bit about <laughs> the dropout of, of women during the study. Oh, no. So the early termination or dropout rate for this study was about 22%, which is not terrible, but it is kind of high. Uh. Um, the concerning thing, though, that the, the evaluators brought up, the 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 studies brought up uh, was that it was not equally spread between all three groups. The control group, so this is a group without any prune intervention, uh, had about a 10% dropout rate. So totally reasonable, nothing out of the ordinary there. 
the 50 gram prune treatment group uh, had a dropout rate around 15%, which was not statistically different from the control group. So it was slightly higher, but nothing really different. The concerning thing came in with the 100 gram prune group. They had a dropout rate of 41%. And the reasoning for this. Oh no. Is it the fiber? Because of the prunes. So high. And so this like. 41%, 41%, as you could probably just tell, just based on the number, is significantly higher than the control group yeah. or the 50 grand treatment group. And the average length of time in the intervention for the all the participants um, for the 100 uh, prune group was significantly shorter. Uh, it was only 260 days. So again, this study can, was for the length of an entire year. And so they dropped out at around nine, ten months. But the average group uh, length of time for the control group was almost like 70 days longer. So that's significantly different as yeah. well. Now you might be asking yourself, what really was driving this dropout rate? I'm guessing, can I just, I'm taking a, a wild, not wild guess, but um, fiber and diarrhea? So the thing that was driving it was the lack of ability to maintain daily use. <laughs> And it's because they said that it was, quote, difficult to consume that many prunes a day, which I guess I don't know how much a prune weighs. Maybe it's just a lot. I would I would be very curious as to the volume of 100 grams of prunes. Yeah, me too. And so that was, the, the I think, their main concern. It actually wasn't necessarily the side effects of eating that okay, many prunes. It was just like... It was just like you're eating 100 grams of prunes on top of your daily diet. So it's not like they were supplementing something in their mm-hmm. diet for 100 grams of prunes. They were specifically being told to just add 100, and, like, 100 grams of prunes into their diet. Did the study provide the prunes? They did. Nice. Yes. So let's get into some of these results now. Okay. So they evaluated a few things. They first wanted to look at body composition because, again, a big thing that drives fractures in uh, mineral density mm-hmm. degradation in, in bones uh, is your weight. So they wanted to see how the consumption of 50 or 100 grams of prunes a day impacts weight. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, the contestants gained weight. <laughs> the contestants? <laughs> the contestants. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We <clears throat> surveyed 100 women. <laughs> Survey says prunes. The uh, 50 gram and 100 gram consuming prune participants gained weight compared to the control group. And that was looking at both total fat mass as well as body fat percentage. Okay. Now, the actual differences in that was... It was not like a huge amount of weight was gained, but it was still... St- uh, statistically significant when comparing to the the control group. Did they give a number on that? Yes, I can. Hold on, I have to get to the graph. <laughs> the fat mass for um, for the control group was around twenty seven uh, kilograms, so that's about a body fat percentage of about forty percent. For the prune group, it started again around the same uh, twenty seven, and then it increased at six months um, and twelve months at about to about twenty eight. Uh, for the the total body fat, and so that's about a forty one percent body fat percentage. Okay, so uh, not crazily different. No, um, one kilogram that's about two pounds. Yes, and the same was true for the the fifty gram uh, 
uh, gram prune uh, participants. So mm-hmm. it's not like there was a significant increase with doubling the amount of prunes you ate, but mm-hmm. there was just a, a pretty steady increase in the in the total body fat as mm-hmm. well as percentage. Okay. <clears throat> so the next thing they wanted to evaluate following that was they're like, okay, so there's a little bit of a shift in body and in, in body fat and body weight, but what was really the, the thing they really wanted to evaluate was the difference in the bone mineral density. And so as you age, your bone mineral density typically declines, especially in postmenopausal women. Let's see how many times I could say, especially in postmenopausal women. <laughs> um, and so they wanted to do an analysis called a group time interaction. And so this is to evaluate whether the intervention that you're providing mm-hmm. is actually altering the expected decline or increase in something over time. And so the way that these graphs really look is if you could imagine like your typical XY plot with mm-hmm. a nice little like just a slope, slope. one. Yes. Um, thank you. <laughs> I was like, how do I describe a line graph? Um, and X just like a slope of one. If your intervention has like a, a slightly different starting point, but those two lines are parallel to each other. Mm-hmm. There's no difference. Mm-hmm. So what you're really looking at is a difference in the slope over time. Mm-hmm. And so they evaluated the bone mineral density of these patients at baseline before they started the intervention, six months after the intervention, and then 12 months at the end of the intervention. So when they looked at these uh, the total body bone mineral density, they actually saw a slight decrease in the loss of bone uh, mineral density in the prune treatment groups combined. So when they combined the groups for the 100 and the Mm -hmm. 50 gram treatment compared to the controls. Um, But while that was interesting, they were like, okay, we want to evaluate now the bone mineral density loss in very specific locations. So as anyone who is familiar, again, osteoporosis really affects a particular set of bones in general uh, as to the not just like the general skeleton alone but also is highly seen in bone mineral density loss in the hips Mm -hmm. and in the femur Mm -hmm. and in the lower lumbar spine Mm -hmm. and so they evaluated those specific places and so when they look at the the lumbar region so the lumbar spine so Mm that would be the lower your lower vertebrae Mm -hmm. connecting to the hip they actually saw no difference between uh, the control group and the prune treatment groups. Their largest change was actually in total hip bone mineral density. And so when you look at those groups, the control groups had a significant reduction in bone mineral density over the course of 12 months. Um, this dropped from about 0.8 grams per centimeter squared to about 0.79 grams per centimeter squared, which doesn't sound like a huge drop, mm-hmm. but it is a significant reduction mm-hmm. in, in bone mineral density. However, the 50 and 100 gram prune treatment groups mm-hmm. actually showed no change in their bone mineral density over that time point, uh, which is pretty significant. They saw reduction in the bone mineral density across all three groups in the, the femoral neck, so that would be in yeah, the upper part of your femur that connects to the hip. Um, but it was slightly less, actually, uh, a slightly less reduction in the femoral head of the control group. It wasn't statistically significantly different, but mm-hmm. it, they, did want to, they did point that out. And so when they compare these analysis, the only significant change that they saw was a reduction in the loss of bone mineral density scores in the total hips of their prune treatment groups. Mm-hmm. So again, consuming prunes seemed to protect 
against bone mineral density loss in the hips of postmenopausal women, but nowhere else. Did they look for a dose response, or were there too few participants to? You know, they did look for a, 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 a dose response. There wasn't a significant difference, and again, I think part of that had to do with the amount of participant loss that they saw in the 100 gram treatment mm-hmm. group. At the total hip level, they didn't see a significant difference between the treatment groups. Okay. However, in the femoral neck region, as well as the lumbar region, they actually saw a, not a significantly different, but it was trending towards a significantly different loss, excuse me, a protection against loss of bone mineral density. So there might be an indication towards like a, an actual like dose response. However, the tricky thing is really going to be able to maintain people on that kind of like mm-hmm. dietary or nutritional change mm-hmm. over multiple months. Mm-hmm. Following the bone mineral density, they wanted to look also at changes in diet and exercise. Because yes. again, two important contributions. <laughs> yes, exactly. And they found, in fact, that while there was uh, a slight change in as we stated earlier, body fat composition. There is no significant difference at all in exercise or in diet across all three groups. One specific change that they wanted to make note of, which is that in both the 100-gram prune group and the 50-gram treatment group, there was a significant increase in the minutes of high-magnitude load exercise compared to the control group. So this hmm. would be the kind of exercise that you might imagine would actually facilitate bone health. Okay. So, uh-huh. yes, the uh, statistical values for that were not, <laughs> not like overwhelmingly statistically significant. It was a p-value of 0.04, but it does cross that yeah. threshold. Yeah. So they do think that while that, that change uh, in interaction for, of minutes of high magnitude loading exercise might have contributed to differences in the bone mineral density scores, they would have actually expected that to be seen globally and not at just the hip level. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do think that it, it might have impacted like the results, but not significantly altered them with what they actually evaluated. I, okay, I mean, maybe you'll talk about this more, but like I wouldn't expect prunes to have a, a hip-specific effect either. And, I wouldn't either. And obviously... The participants are not blind to whether or not they're eating. A hundred percent. They were completely unblinded to, to their, yeah. So if you're like, okay, I'm in the study, I'm, I'm at risk of osteoporosis and like these prunes are going to help me and I'm just going to do everything I can to like improve my bone health. Like I can just see that like being in the treatment group kind of like inspiring your attitudes towards what you're going to do about your bone health. Yeah. And so that's, that is one reason why they brought it up because they were just like, is it possible that like the bias of how we set up the study Mm-hmm. resulted in women changing their exercise and diet behavior. Mm-hmm. The last thing they wanted to evaluate was differences in the bone composition. So they looked specifically at trabecular bone scores. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is, again, just a type of bone that forms the outer cortex region that mm-hmm. uh, basically, if you want to think of like the walls of the bone, that's what the trabecular bone uh, is. And they also, again, wanted to look at the frax hip fracture and osteoporotic fracture scores. So again, mm-hmm. this is the 
questionnaire form that mm-hmm. evaluates patients' habits and their medical history to evaluate their likelihood of getting a fracture within 10 years. And with osteoporotic fractures, you really think about like the non-traumatic or like lightly traumatic fractures. Yes. So if you're in a car accident and you're, you know, you get T-boned and you break your arm, that's not necessarily going to significantly increase your um, osteoporotic risk. But, you know, if you slip from a seated chair to the floor and you break your hip, yes. that is more concerning yeah. for an osteoporotic mechanism and, yeah. or like a class of one is like a compression fracture of, exactly. the, of the spine. Yeah. So they're, they're specifically looking at fractures that might result from this loss of bone mineral density. And so when they look at the trabecular bone score, they see that there's no significant difference between the control group and the 100 gram prune group, but there is a significant difference in the uh, 50 gram prune group. That's weird. Was the 100 gram not significant because of the few... That's what their assumption is. Now, when they get to the hip fracture, excuse me, the frax hip uh, fracture score, Mm -hmm. um, they do see that there is a significant reduction in that frax score in both the 50 and 100 gram prune group compared to the control group. So they are less likely to have a hip fracture within Mm. 10 years. Mm. A a similar trend was seen in the 100 gram prune group at the osteoporotic uh, fracture score but there is no significant difference between the control and the 50-gram prune group and that uh, FRAX score. So it looks like, and again, I don't understand why eating prunes would really protect hip bone mineral density loss mm-hmm. this, this aggressively, but mm-hmm. it does appear that this treatment intervention is specifically facilitating protection of hip fractures. At least that's what is seen at the 50-gram treatment at the 100 gram treatment with prunes, it seems that it protects more globally. The last thing they discussed was, again, this was in their conclusions, they wanted to evaluate really why is this dose response different? What's driving this difference? Mm-hmm. How are prunes mechanistically improving bone mineral like health and like mm-hmm. bone density health? Mm-hmm. And they don't really know why, <laughs> which is not surprising since this is not really a mechanistic study it's it's a clinical trial yes where is this published again this was published in the american journal for clinical nutrition okay one thing they did bring up in this study is that the the 12 months that they conducted (laughs) these these Mm follow-ups and these intervention studies was during covid um Uh... and because of that they actually had to extend the end of their uh, 12 month post study analysis by quite a bit of days. So a number of participants didn't actually get the, the the 12-month follow-up until month 13, or in some cases, month 14. And so mm-hmm. that could have also altered the results. Did they continue on their intervention group for those extra two months, or did they stop? I believe that they stopped, because they only provided uh, participants with 12 months of prunes. They do, want to, they do mention that like the reason they wanted to conduct this study was because osteoporosis, process medication has a really low compliance rate Absolutely, a lot of patients just stop taking the medication Absolutely. and so they're like would it be easier for these patients to consume a dried fruit of some kind that's easily available and substitute that mm-hmm. and so one thing that they did do and they didn't really go into a whole lot of detail because mm-hmm. again they just shoved this data uh into their discussion mm-hmm. they did evaluate some blood markers for bone health so that included things like uh 
insulin growth factor. Okay. They looked at some of the metabolic components uh, downstream of vitamin D synthesis. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be 25 hydroxylase D3. And then they also looked at calcium levels. Mm -hmm. The results from that, mm, kind of inconclusive. Um, they don't really get into the, the data very heavily, mm -hmm. but they do just make mention that they conducted those studies. And I'm no endocrinologist, obviously, uh, yep. but I did used to work in a parathyroid-focused lab, and I feel like blood calcium is no indicator for yeah. bone health, so it's not really correlated well. Yeah, and so they do make mention that the one significant thing that they did pull up was that they did actually see increased serum levels of IGF-1, so insulin growth factor, mm -hmm. as well as the 25-hydroxylase D3, which okay. is, again, a metabolic... It's a metabolite. Metabolite, thank you, of uh, vitamin D. Um, but they didn't really see any difference in calcium, um, which, again, not oh, super surprising. I think we're about to get a cameo from our neighbors. Let's see if they... There's some dogs. But there didn't seem to be like a dose response to that. So they weren't really sure if those results were something that was actually particularly because of the prunes that they were eating or some other secondary effect that they couldn't control for, such can as you, time outside. Yeah. Can you remind me if IGF-1 is a, a catabolic or anabolic factor on bones? Oh my god. I want to say anabolic, but I don't think that's So right. high levels are good? Yeah. Yes, so yeah, yeah. They facilitate bone reabsorption and bone anabolism. In conclusion, what these <laughs> researchers kind of identified was that it's hard to say whether or not prunes could actually be a useful alternative to osteoporosis medication. Mm -hmm. um, there do seem to be some very narrow and specific benefits from consuming prunes, mm -hmm. um, especially a low dosage, so to speak, of prunes <laughs> that are easily... Um, consumed regularly by by participants and by patients there is a concern about consuming larger amounts of prunes which they do show show more uh, global skeletal benefits but mm -hmm. had a significantly higher drop-off rate uh, compared to the control group or the the prune group maybe you're going to get into this but what i would like to see is going back to just a recent episode a non-inferiority trial for drugs like bisphosphonates, uh, the antibody denosumab, I can't remember the brand yeah. name, and like teriparatide. I was thinking the same thing when I was reading this because again, like if the difference that they're seeing is actually like the like metabolites that promote bone growth or bone like uh, health, then was would those benefits be amplified in the presence of these treatments that antagonize bone degradation mm -hmm. um, and things like that, and so. I don't know what the answer is. I know, I mean, one thing that you always have to be worried about is, like, drug-drug interactions, especially with yeah. food products. I mean, you always yeah. think of, like, warfarin and, like, grapefruit and, like, you know, things like that. So I think there's some limitations to the study, and I mm -hmm. think you, you brought up probably the biggest one, which is that the, the mechanism for the study didn't allow for mm -hmm. control of a number of factors that could also impact bone health mainly mm -hmm. the uh, impact of like knowing that you're in like a experimental treatment group and altering your behavior to try to provide benefit to the results. In this case, the increased exercising by the prune group participants. One thing that they do like mention is like the major takeaway here is that mm -hmm. it's, it's the limitation of the dosage. Yeah. 
which is like I think kind of the most disappointing aspect of this mm-hmm. study is that even if you they saw significant benefits and mm-hmm. in some cases significantly better benefits in the 100 grams or the higher dose group mm-hmm. due to the loss of participant consumption mm-hmm. of the like their daily dose they they're like well those results are inconclusive mm-hmm. and then on top of that utilizing this in clinic is gonna be so much harder yeah because i mean imagine like it, when you compare like the control group which is like no treatment mm-hmm. and then the 50 gram prune group there's no significant difference between dropout there so the consumption of 50 grams of prunes really didn't impact them negatively mm-hmm. in any way mm-hmm. but then the second you double that dose to get really those significant results mm-hmm. really drove some other symptoms or some other like negative side effects that made people want to stop so you can imagine that continuing that treatment long term yeah, yeah. would just exacerbate those differences and you know what it kind of reminds me of those classic ads for like supplements and vitamins and stuff where it's like you know turmeric is like really helpful for your heart health so you should really cook with that a lot but they don't tell you that you need to like eat like a gallon of turmeric powder to get like 0.1% of the effect and simply sprinkling it on your food. Like sure, maybe if they took, and this study is based on like cells in addition, they just like dumped turmeric. turmeric. Oh, it has like anti-aging effects or whatever. Or like you're never going to get the, I don't want to say never because there are, I'm not trying to like bash all, um, you know, medicinal herbs because obviously drugs come from plants. Yeah. But but there's just a lot of I'm I think I'm thinking more of the malicious nutrition industry, which again, not all is malicious, but there's certainly a lot of money grabbers yeah. out there who are like, This one miracle panacea is gonna just like it's just turmeric in a capsule and it's gonna cure all your ailments yeah. and for the low cost of ninety nine ninety nine a month and and you're just maybe those benefits are true, but they're not at any dose that's actually tenable. Yeah, and I and I'm not I think, to go on a rant. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean a fair one though, and I think this really just kind of like supports that concern that you just brought up, which is that any kind of benefit you might have, it's going to be really difficult to try to achieve it with these patients, especially as they get older, especially mm-hmm. as they extend the use of that treatment. Yeah, and so, so yeah, that's kind of sad. I guess the sum of that is that we still have no way to really effectively and continuously treat osteoporosis. So good luck, ladies. <laughs> 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 this one was for you. 